We've, uh, we've come to 1 Samuel 28, and it is a tricky passage. Um, I trust the Lord will have a word for us, all of us, in this passage. In this, we've been going through 1 Samuel and uh, hearing much about King Saul and, King, and David. Um, in this chapter, King Saul comes to the final crisis of his life. How do you know when the next crisis is your final one? You don't, do you? You don't. But in every crisis, particularly life-threatening crisis, there is a sense of fear, particularly if we've not resolved the question of life and death and God and judgment. Shakespeare said, conscience makes cowards of us all. And uh, we find here in this chapter that Saul has turned into a dribbling coward in the face of this final crisis. And he had had much on his conscience, didn't he? Much that he'd suppressed on his conscience. But there's a day coming when everything will become clear before God. That's as uh, sure as death and taxes. (laughs) Yeah. We live in a moral universe. Every crisis that happens, we've had some terrible things happen in recent days, apart from the big things of Ukraine and, and uh, Myanmar and other places around the world, but terrible crisis in South Korea, the crowd crush and the bridge collapse in India. Remember, uh, Jesus was asked about some people who died from a, a tower crushing them and he was asked, were they worse sinners? And he said, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. In other words, in every crisis, there's a, there's a little voice saying, hey, hey, there's a God. And you can know him and you can turn to him and you can know salvation, forgiveness. You can know a freedom from fear in the face of the final judgment. I don't know, um, how many of you have walked along a railway line, on the railway track? How many? Put your hand up. Yeah, okay, I just want to get a photo of this. <laughs> I, I need to pass it on to the authorities. If the children would hear, were here, would you so freely have put your hand up? You foolish people. <laughs> I learnt my Greek alphabet on each, what do you call it, sleeper? Alpha, beta, gamma... <laughs> And I was at Theological College. But it's okay, because you can hear when the train's coming. You might not see it coming, but you can hear that little sound in the rails, can't you? Can't you? And then you know, it'd be good to get off the track, wouldn't it? You know, Saul's been walking on the railway line for a long, long time. And he's been ignoring the sound of the train coming on that track. And then finally it's there and he turns around and he sees it and he says, oh, can I phone home? I need to know what to do. But there's no time left. Now, if if you think I'm being overdoing it, melodramatic, 
the scriptures, this is the word that God brings to us to, to just wake us up. So we've got this King Saul. And uh, in those days, the Philistines, the enemies of Israel, gathered their forces to fight against Israel. It happened in a place called Shunem, north of Israel, in north of Israel. <coughs> and uh, there was level ground there and it put... Uh, the Philistines ahead an advantage because they had iron chariots. And this was not a place where Israel would want to face the Philistine forces. Remember last week we were left in suspense. Uh, David, what's he doing over with the Philistines? You'll have to read back if you missed it. He'd gained the trust of the Achish, uh, the Achish, the Philistine king. And uh, when... Uh, King Archish told David that he and his men, that they were going to fight Israel. He told David that he and his men were going to fight with him. And uh, strangely, David, who's meant to be the new king of Israel, enthusiastically agrees to fight against the people of God. This is strange. And we'll have to wait till next week, won't we? Because we're left hanging in suspenders. That's what my father used to say, wondering how David's going to get himself out of this tangled mess but we won't find out today. Today we hear of this strange and dark story of Saul and the medium of Endor. And uh, you know, there's something worse than David's uh, complicated, messy situation that he finds himself in. There's something worse than that. And that is um, That is coming to the place where you know that you've all your life you've hardened your heart towards God and now God is silent and you're abandoned in the face of death. And that's where Saul is. You see, with David might be in a huge dilemma, but God is still with him. But Saul is in a place where he's not listening to the warnings. And... Uh, and when it all becomes obvious, he doesn't care what method he uses to find out how he can get out of trouble. And if God won't turn up, he'll dance with the devil. That's what we're talking about. So if you, don't, if you think David is in hot water, take a look at Saul. He's placed himself beyond the sound of God's voice because he's kept on hardening his heart towards God. And now he's all alone to face his greatest fear. Uh, there were right, back in 1 Samuel 15, Saul was rejected through the word of the prophet Samuel. He was rejected as king of Israel. Uh, but from that chapter 15 right through to chapter 28, Saul will do anything to keep his power and position. Even... He'll go after David again and again, but he'll even go after his own son, Jonathan. There were times when Saul seemed to come to his senses and change his ways, but it was always too little, too late. It's interesting. Oh, yes, I must talk to someone about God. Oh, maybe another time. You know? He only confessed his sin when he was caught. His repentance was like the dew of the morning. And as soon as the sun came out, there was nothing there. 
He'd become as slippery as a snake. He had a habit of saying whatever he thought would work to get out of trouble. Haven't we all done that? He could justify any of his actions and was quite prepared to shift the blame to others when it suited him. And he actually believed his own lies. His love of power, position, status, his career as a king, his reliance upon his own worldly wisdom, his eagerness to please the people rather than God, his utter disregard for God's commands. Revealed a person who was on a downward spiral spiritually with ever-increasing moral and spiritual blindness and darkness, but he couldn't see it and he couldn't see the train coming. Uh, when, when I was young, we used to have uh, every birthday party, we'd have a bit of a dance. Um, and one of the things we used to do is play um, Limbo Rock. Do you remember Limbo Rock? You have the stick and you go under it and you're not allowed to bend your knees. And uh, Jack, go limbo. Jack, go under the limbo stick. Limbo lower now. How low can you go? Do you remember that? Well, in this chapter, we're seeing how low Saul could go. It's, it's a strange story, isn't it, uh, that, that, uh, that Samuel, who's dead and buried, they've agreed over the loss of this great prophet and uh, judge in Israel, and he's been dead and gone for some time. And uh, he comes, he comes to, to Saul through this medium. Now, is this really Samuel? You know, is it, or is it a, or is it a demonic spirit impersonating Samuel, or is the medium just a very clever uh, trickster who's putting on a good act? When you read the passage, it does sound like Samuel, because this, he speaks the same truth that Samuel spoke when he was alive. Um, now, and if you look at the commentaries, you'll look at all sorts of different theories and different positions that are taken. Um, I suspect it was the spirit of Samuel. Not, not brought up by this clever medium who had powers so much as God hijacking that, that seance or whatever you want to call it so that Saul might hear very clearly for the last time why he has every reason to be fearful and to know that God, not Satan, not anyone else, had power over his life, that God had power over his life. Saul had... uh, had actually himself, as king, under the law, kicked out all the uh, mediums and necromancers out of the land, um, and rightly done so. They were pagan practices that would could become a snare to God's people, did become a snare to God's people. Um, and so we're told that right from the beginning. Samuel's dead, the uh, mediums are kicked out of the land, and now Saul is facing... Uh, this 
huge Philistine army. And when he saw the army, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. Now, here's a a man who once, filled with the Spirit of God, had courage before Israel's enemies. But here, he's got nothing. He's got nothing. The Spirit was withdrawn. and, uh, And when he inquired of the Lord, no answer. Uh, there was no answer by dreams or by the Urim. They were the, the stones that were in the ephod of the, of the priest. Uh, we don't know much about how they were used, but God gave them as a means to communicate his will to the priest, through the priest. There was no word by the prophets. Uh, the priests were all killed anyway by Saul, another point, and uh, the prophets, uh, they knew the prophets certainly wouldn't be coming near Saul because uh, of, his, of his hatred for, for David and uh, his madness. So there was no word coming in any of these ways. And so Saul says, well, seek out for me a servant, a woman, who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. Knowing that he'd kicked them all out, but they found one, uh, there is a medium at Endor. So, ah. Uh, He seeks guidance from God. There is none. Why? It's too late for Saul. Why is he inquiring of the Lord? Because he's afraid. He's fearful of uh, what's about to happen. He's fearful of death. And beyond that, he's fearful of what might come. Uh, It's not because he cares for God's honour and glory. He cares more about his own honour and glory. He's afraid because he, he's about to lose everything he values, even his own life. When a person persistently refuses to obey God's word, they may come a time when God, God does not answer us. Now that's a clear word through this passage. Uh, Psalm 60, 60 verse 18, If I had cherished sin in my heart, you know, kept it, looked after it, not wanting to let it go, the Lord would not have listened. And now Saul does the very thing that he once condemned. He goes to a medium. And uh, all the time Samuel was alive, did Saul rush off to Samuel to get guidance? Not likely. It was always Samuel coming to Saul, the king, to tell him what God's word was. And now Samuel's dead. Oh, it'd be good to talk to Samuel. (laughs) Let's find a medium to uh, bring him up. He didn't care much for the word of God while Samuel was alive. What is a medium? Someone who stands in between the world of the living and the dead and communicates between the two worlds. These days it's also called channeling. Um, It describes how a person's body being taken over by a spirit for the purpose of communication. It's been around for millennia. Um, uh, we, we have it called spirit guides is another way, to, another term used. Um, in America, a third of Americans say they have communicated with someone who has died. One third of Americans. And they collectively spend more than $2 billion a year for psychic service. Now, I don't know what it is in Australia, but I wouldn't be surprised. It would be quite high. 
It's a should shock us, shouldn't it? You see, these things, you know, we're so secular, we're so together, we don't believe in these things. Well, hang on. It looks like a lot of people do. A materialist worldview actually does not really satisfy. It doesn't make sense of the world we know. There are deeper things than what we can see with our eyes. But this is not the place to go. And uh, Saul knew that. The law said, don't go there. Don't follow the abominable practices of those nations. Um, There should be no one found among you who practices these things. That's what the law said. Um, And it's because of those things they were doing that God was driving out the Canaanites, all the evil practices that they were involved in. Uh, burning their sons and daughters as an offering. That's what they did, Baal worshippers. Practicing divination, fortune-telling, sorcery, charmer, medium, necromancer. Necros is death. It's talking to the dead. One who inquires of the dead. All these things were condemned under God's law and uh, they should be driven out. Um, If a person turns to mediums and necromancers, whoring after them, I will set my face against that person and will cut them off among his people. And the prophet Isaiah, and when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, they say they're hocus pocus and whatever, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? No, go to the living one. Ask him. But didn't Saul inquire of God? Well, yes, he did. But he didn't, really. Because he wasn't talking to God anymore. He was only inquiring of God because he was desperate. And so he disguises himself. He doesn't want to be seen as the king going. And obviously this medium would be terrified of King Saul turning up, the one who'd kicked them all out. And he goes at night... And uh, goes with two men. He says, divine for me by a spirit and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. And the woman said to him, surely you know what Saul has done, how he's cut off the mediums. Why then are you laying a trap for my life? Uh, She sees this as a possible entrapment. Uh, But he vows to her, get this, a Saul... Saul, as the Lord lives, he vows, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. As the Lord, he he takes the name of the Lord in a vow to, to promise that he would not bring judgment on her, which is required by the law. He goes against God in God's name. I think that's called taking God's name in vain. So the woman says, okay, whom shall I bring up to you? Bring up Samuel. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. Now, we don't know what's going on here, but but uh, it looks like this is better than she thought <laughs> would happen. Like suddenly there's someone appearing to her in a way that she's never known before. Was she a fake from the beginning? Maybe. Or was she some someone who had a, a familial spirit That connected her with the dark powers. And yet this experience is like no other experience she's had. 
and she screams. And that, that makes me think this has got some reality to it, that God is actually hijacking what's going on here for his purposes. And the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. We don't know how she knew, but, but in seeing this figure coming, whether he said something to her or whether it twigged, she suddenly realised this is Saul. And he says, don't be afraid. Don't stop. I want to hear what this guy's going to say. And if it's really Samuel, what do you see? I see a God coming um, out of the earth. And the word she uses um, is, um, is a common word for gods. And she's got a pagan background. So she's seeing this majestic form coming. Um, it's the word Elohim, actually. This word that's also used for God in the Old Testament. But it's in the plural, Elohims. It's judges were also called Elohim. Anyone with great power, godlike power. And so that's what she sees. What is his appearance? An old man is coming up and he's wearing a robe. Saul remembers the robe that he grabbed. You know, when, 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 he, when Samuel told him the kingdom of his kingdom would be ripped apart away from him and given to David, he grabbed Samuel's cloak and tore it. Here he is, wrapped in a robe. Saul knew it was Samuel. He bowed and with his face to the ground, he paid homage. So now he's looking very reverent and worshipful, but to Samuel coming back from the dead, if that's the case. We don't know. The scriptures don't, don't make it quite as clear as we'd want to. But what does Samuel say? Why have you disturbed me, bringing me up? Oh, I'm in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me. God has turned away from me, answers me no more. Therefore I summon to you to tell me what to do. Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand, given it to your neighbour David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. <laughs> the Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand. The Philistines are going to destroy your army, and you are going to be taken out, you and your sons. And then Saul fell at once full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. There was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. This is a, a pitiful picture of a king who was called to lead Israel and to reflect God's glory and uh, justice and truth to his people. And here he is, uh, a miserable mess before a, a medium. You know, from that moment on, Saul is really a dead man walking. You've heard that phrase? Um, it's used in US prisons to announce a condemned prisoner being walked to the place of execution. Um, he's got no hope. He knows that um, his life is, in, in just a short time, going to be taken from him. And it's all too 
late to do anything about it. He has no heart to cry out to God for repentance. That's interesting. I've seen people close to their dying moment and, uh, and you'd think that they might be at a point where they might consider faith in God. But no, no, and they just die in that darkness and despair. Um, or in a great confidence that there's a, a wonderful light coming, but no, on no basis. You know, if anyway, God is holy. He is a righteous judge. He loves the world. He came to redeem it, not to condemn it. He came to give us life. He showed it in the way he healed and forgave. Jesus showed the incredible kindness of God to a world that was without hope and without God and not listening. And that's where Saul is, not listening. How the mighty have fallen. He had such a glorious destiny. And he squandered it through pride and ambition and jealousy and unbelief and just blatant disobedience. Um, And there he is, utterly weak. He hadn't had much to eat, but... Spiritually, emotionally, he has just got nothing there. No reserves. You know, there's another king centuries later who was overwhelmed with what he was about to face. He was also about to die, but not as one who had not obeyed God, but as one who had obeyed God. And when God seemed silent and when he felt overwhelmed uh, with dread, crushing his soul... He still would not turn from seeking the Father's answer to his great need there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And at no point, even under the most extreme pressure, did Jesus want anything but his Father's will. Even when everything in his humanity sought to draw back from the horror of drinking that cup, he still cried out, not my will, but your will be done. There's the king of glory. There's the king the world needs. But right back there, well before chapter 28, this king, Saul, refuses to do God's will, even though it only had great promise and blessing for his destiny. Saul doesn't believe he's done anything terribly wrong. You know, when he was told to destroy the enemies and including the animals, he, he kept them. Oh, no, we'll use them. We can sacrifice them to the Lord. You know what Samuel said to him? Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? You can be as religious as you like. It's about whether you've obeyed the Lord. To obey is better than sacrifice. For rebellion is like the sin of divination. An arrogance like the evil of adultery. And Samuel went on to say, because you rejected the word of the Lord, you you are rejected as king. We were made for a royal destiny as a humanity. We were made to rule creation under the Father. We were made to to have great glory and honour as a human creature. Not to go around fighting and killing one another and destroying the creation and to live in shame and loss of glory 
And we call it, I've got a low self-image. Our insecurity comes from our refusal to know and obey the Father's command. Saul minimised the sin of rebellion. And yet it was to refuse God's command was just the same as going to the medium to find out the future, which we would never do, would we? <laughs> That's how serious rebellion is in, our, in my heart, in your heart, when we shut out the voice of God. 1 Chronicles makes it quite clear why Saul would die the next day. Uh, and it says this, He died for his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the command of the Lord and he also consulted a medium seeking guidance. He did not seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. Saul could never come to the place to cry out for a new heart like David did when he failed and fell. He could never come to that place. Never come to true repentance. Instead, like, you know, the last part of the story is the woman says, look, I obeyed you, now you obey me. (laughs) She wanted to get him fed. She didn't want him to die in her house. That would be the end of it for her. Possibly, maybe she was showing kindness. But it's interesting. He listened and obeyed the voice of the woman. He wouldn't obey God. But here he is in a medium's house doing what she wants. And so he actually shared a meal with that medium. Jesus, there's another king of Israel who shared meals with all kinds of outcasts, but he didn't sink down to their corruption. He lifted them out of their shame and freed them from their past. And there's another interesting similarity as we finish. Um, it, It says, after the meal, they ate, then they rose, and they went away into the night. And it looks a bit like the Passover meal. There's the unleavened bread, freshly killed, fatted calf in this case. And it was like Saul's last supper. And then they go out into the night. Judas also went from that last supper with Jesus out into the night. And this was the hour when darkness reigned. Judas had also hardened his heart towards the words of Christ. And he was soon to learn the terrible despair that rejecting God brings to the heart and conscience and like Judas, he would take his own life. Like Saul, Judas would also take his own life. Jesus went out into the same night and he went out to do the will of the Father. He went out to take on the powers of darkness and to overcome the world. And we see how fierce this battle was in the garden, but he would not give way to unbelief and disobedience. And then on the cross... When day became night, as those three hours of darkness descended upon the land. And when he plumbed the depth of our abandonment by God, where he drank to the dregs of God's judgment on our sin, where he suffered the horror of being forsaken by God, he did not curse God and die, but he cried, it's finished. And he quietly committed his spirit to the Father. In his last breath. You see, Saul went out into the night having no hope 
and without God. That's where humanity was. That's where humanity is. Without Christ. But Christ goes out into the night, into the darkness, to set us free from the terror of death and to break us free from the power of darkness and to destroy the guilt and the despair and to bring us into the light of life. And unlike Saul, this king did not go to his death in shame and despair. He didn't grovel in fear before the powers of evil. He went to his death as one who had fought a great battle, weary and bloodied, but not defeated. He died as the king of glory on that cross, unbeaten by all the deceit and lies of the evil one, and in dying, defeated and abolished the power of death over us. And he delivered all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That's why we keep so busy. How do we know he defeated Death, because on that third day he appeared alive from the dead as our gentle conquering Lord and he declared peace to all those who believed in him. When my brother was at primary school, he was riding his push bike Eden Hills Railway Station. There was a train coming and there was a little girl on the track and she was frozen and it was too late. She didn't have the power to move. And my brother rode through and scooped her up and she was saved. You know, Christ has come. It's all too late, too little, too late. And Christ has come to deliver us. Why would you say, oh, sorry, no thanks, that doesn't apply to me. I'm okay. Wouldn't you just say, hey, (laughs) save me, save me. And you can. If you haven't today, you can. You can say yes. And you can know there's a God, a living God, who says yes to you in Jesus Christ. Amen.